Welcome back to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Bander Jesus. I am so excited that we get to talk about The Perfect Storm. It is a perfectly titled episode uh, because there are just so many things that are swirling around in this episode. I agree. I, I felt like this was maybe one of the best scripts of any of the episodes so far, even just like right from the very first scene, the dialogue just absolutely crackles in this episode. It's yes, great. yes. I was bagging on the dialogue uh, between Hannah and Sean in the last episode. Uh, the whole Lucas has cooties, <laughs> you're a goober. Uh, and they've really, uh, they've kicked it up a notch for this episode, which I am happy about. Um, totally. It is, as you said, kind of a bottle episode where everybody is at the high school uh, for most of the episode doing the SATs or preparing for the SATs. Um, but it's interesting to watch this uh, and give it a close watch because I feel like it really shows us a lot about how PLL over the long haul, how it does misdirection and also how it is not afraid of starting a plot line that winds up going absolutely nowhere. Uh, there are two misdirections in this episode. The first one is what has Veronica got going on with Alex proletariat from the club uh, and also uh, the idea that Emily might have done something. Uh, she might have been involved in the wreckage at Allison's memorial. And we also have uh, the plot that goes nowhere, thank goodness, of Ashley and Byron. Yeah, and, and even possibly Ella and Ezra, question mark. Uh, I, don't, I don't think they were actually flirting with anything there, but they could, have, they could have gone in a direction of Ella developing a crush on him. I'm glad that they didn't uh yes yeah there are a lot of a lot of things in this episode i will say to my fellow tv nerds i know that this is not a bottle episode in the strictest sense of the word because <laughs> technically with a bottle episode it's like you're you you don't have guest stars and you you know it's all on one set and all of that but it's this is like pretty little liars version of a model episode yes yes uh we come in with Hannah, Spencer, and Aria are studying for the SATs. Uh, Aria is quizzing Spencer with flashcards, focusing on long words. Hannah is eating garlic bread, presumably cold garlic bread, uh, because uh, the other liars are, you know, kind of asking her why she's still eating it. Uh, why doesn't she throw it in the trash? And uh, Hannah very charmingly says, then she'd have to eat it out of the trash. <laughs> We have sort of a Spencer queer look alert here. She's in a checked shirt and she has her hair up, which, as we've said, always bumps bumps Spencer up on the queer scale. It does. Um, they're they're quizzing Spencer about uh, vocabulary and uh, and there's the remark that Spencer doesn't need to be any scarier to people under fifty. And Spencer <laughs> says, "I'm not scary. Am I scary?" Very adorably. We we learn that Noel Khan. So Hannah wants Aria to give Noel a chance. We learn that Noel Kahn's father owns half of Rhode Island, question mark. Like, I want to know a little bit more context about that. Well, I mean, um, Rhode Island is not very big. True, true. Uh, but I just like the idea that he, you know, casually owns half an island. Uh, and and uh, Hannah asks, all of this dialogue is funny. Hannah asks Arya, doesn't she want someone she can scratch and sniff? Uh, Spence, Spencer is really nervous as she talks about Alex and how she doesn't want to mess things up. Aria starts talking like a middle-aged mom asking about the boyfriend. When can we call him the boyfriend? Uh, 
Veronica Hastings walks in and um, she she can't eat anything apparently and so she in- instructs the girls to eat some butter for her <laughs> and we realize that Spencer is being very hush hush about Alex around her mom yes yes uh i also want to note that when spencer asks if she's scary uh aria very sweetly responds a little (laughs) which is nice they do find spencer a little scary but they love her anyway uh veronica when she comes in uh is you know an aware parent she's interacting with them and she asks where emily is um she knows the names of spencer's friends which is good um and they say that emily's probably on her way over uh, but no, Emily is not on her way over. She is upset and wet through in her own bedroom, hiding an unseen item under her bed. Yes, she's covered in rain and dirt and tears. She gets mm-hmm. a text from A saying, there's only so much you can bury, Emily. You're not done with me yet. Which to me felt very much like we, the audience, and possibly Emily are supposed to think that that's from Allison. Uh, and we're kind of toying with this idea. Did Emily, was Emily involved in killing Allison? We had, last week we had this, this sort of, uh, little, little first, first inklings of Spencer possibly being involved. And now we're turning our suspicions to Emily. Yes. Yes. Uh, next day, test day. Um, Veronica walks the girls into the school and basically wants to speak to a manager (laughs) regarding (laughs) whether the test is going to be held as a big storm is predicted to be moving through the area. Yes, and Alex and Spencer will have one of two very public, pretty um, graphic makeouts here in the hallway where Veronica is like, two feet away perhaps mm-hmm. um the liars the liars quickly nudge spencer to to uh, break things <laughs> up with alex and uh and veronica is immediately weirded out upon meeting alex and uh we yeah. it's clear that something happened between the two of them yeah she like loses 70 percent of her swagger when she's introduced to him and something just seems weird uh, who else is roaming around the school on SAT day? None other than Detective Heteropatriarchy here. Yeah. <laughs> he drops kind of swivels around. <laughs> he kind of swivels around in the hallway, like, oh, yeah. did, somebody need a, did somebody need a creep? Yeah, I'm yeah, there. I'm right here. <laughs> did someone say nefarious? <laughs> here I am. Um, but yeah, he's there to drop the news that Allie's memorial was vandalized and destroyed. Uh, Veronica shoes him off because the girls have to take the SATs. Uh, and <coughs> then he comes to Emily, who is alone by her locker, to har- harass her uh, as to Toby's whereabouts. Yes, and we have a pan down to Emily's sinister muddy shoes. Yes, yes. Um, you know, there are a lot of times when... Uh, different things are equated with guilt in this episode it is uh, frequently the muddy shoes uh, emily seems guilty because she has muddy shoes later uh one of the last shots of the episode is going to be the true perpetrator's muddy shoes and i feel like uh we know it was storming in the last episode with the memorial and now there's this huge storm that's here i really don't feel like teenagers having muddy shoes is particularly incriminating under these circumstances I agree. I also feel like we know that Emily has a lot of other shoes. Like, Emily, maybe, maybe, maybe you could have changed your shoes. Yeah, I mean, really, all of these, all of all that these people are guilty of is, like, 
poor shoe maintenance. Yes. <laughs> Bad shoe choices, perhaps. Precisely. Um, walking through mud (laughs) we go to the library where we'll spend a lot of this episode and the liars are just like volleying questions and possibilities back and forth is toby a is toby dead is ally a is ally dead what's the (laughs) truth what do we know uh emily is being shady they they are wondering what was going on with her yeah uh spencer has a great line where she says she hears more from allison now than when she was alive (laughs) Aria has a hilarious moment of focusing on the complete wrong thing, which she's going to do a couple times in this episode, and, and which is somewhat a character trait of hers, I feel. Um, when they're talking about, uh, Hannah says, oh, you know, A was happy uh, when, when we got Toby out of the way. And Aria says, why are we trusting A? They made a fake bracelet just to mess with us. <laughs> it's like, oh, girl like of all the things that a has done you're like you're like don't trust them they made a fake bracelet they also broke up your parents marriage like, and i i was on the prize here aria montgomery yeah this is kind of a glass in, in emily's hair situation it's like we're gonna fixate on this one detail but it doesn't really hold up speaking of glass in her hair emily joins the others uh, saying that she got out of practice late yesterday, so she just went home and crashed. Yep, yep. Um, we go back to the hallway where Ella Montgomery has arrived. Uh, we learn that Ella has been living above the gallery. Times are tough and rents are high, and that's the beginning of the chorus of a Dixie Chick song. Um, Aria is freaked out at seeing her mom and even more freaked out when she finds out that Ella is going to start, start subbing at, uh, at Rosewood High. And we learn that Arya has been canceling her dinners on Ella and basically kind of punishing Ella for moving out. Uh, And, you know, I took the note, like, who's punishing Byron? (laughs) Well, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about this. Like, Ella's there because she's on the sub list and she's going to be a proctor for the test. Um, Mm -hmm. Arya at one point says that coming over and having dinner with her mom would be like saying she's okay with her parents living apart. Um, this is a situation where Ella and Aria continue to just kind of have bad boundaries. I feel like if your kid is about to take the SAT, you don't really need to get in of if they cancel dinner with you and what's going on with you and their father. I feel like a better option would be to just tell them, like, good luck and ask if they had a proper breakfast. Like, <laughs> that's totally fine. Agreed. I totally agree. Oh, yes. You probably just saw that jasper is trying to climb the walls uh oh, i saw a door open behind you and i was like right right before um right before we were podcasting i was watching i know what you did last summer so i was oh. i was oh no is this the scene where like someone with a hook hand comes from behind that that door but i'm glad nope. that, that wasn't I'm glad it was just, just a cat just a cat going crazy behind me um yes yes uh yeah this is it, it it's a weird scene because neither one of them are really saying saying what they what they mean and I feel like I don't know I I do I really do feel for Ella and I feel for Ella a lot later in this episode um but I but I agree I I think that that there's some poor some poor boundaries on both sides here uh for sure for sure Speaking of poor boundaries, <laughs> Ashley Marin is balancing her checkbook and frowning. The phone rings, and it's nobody's favorite reptile, Byron <laughs> Montgomery. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote, 
I love that you wrote that because I wrote that she gets a call from the lizard man himself, Byron Montgomery. <laughs> the lizard next door. Uh, the, the power is out on his side of the street and he wants to use her fax machine. And it is not enough that he is going to come over and use her fax machine. He also needs to use her toaster. <laughs> well, and he does this whole, this whole like, like roundabout way of, he's like, I'm freaking out and I need to send a fax. And she's like, okay, come over and use my fax machine. And he's like, oh, really? Are you sure it would be okay if I came over and use your fax machine? And it's like, dude, this is, this is classic Ezra Fitz. Like, I'm not going to ask for what I want. I'm going to, I'm going to talk around it and make you be the one to offer it to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what, dude, if your toaster isn't working, just eat the bread. Come on. (laughs) Come on. Right. I agree. Eat the bread indeed. Uh, we, (laughs) but he will be on his way over. We go back to school where Lucas is, um, is kind of trying to flirt with Hannah a little bit, uh, before Mona busts in. She has a, she has a, a line that is, is not, um, is not very nice, but did kind of make me laugh about, uh, something about Lady, Lady H. And no, I'm talking about. I'm talking about Hannah. It's just, it's not the line itself that made me laugh, but the way that she delivers it, she has such good timing. Flounces in and finds this flirting going. She calls Hannah Lady H and then tells Lucas uh, she's not talking to him. Uh, I I have some concerns though, because the way that Lucas is flirting with Hannah is he's telling her that she's got three hits on her leather jacket. And I have a lot of concern about whether this is her queer looks jacket. Is that the jacket (gasps) that's because if so i can only hope that spencer is going to be buying it or mona <laughs> well yes maybe they can maybe they can timeshare the jacket oh my god yes that's that is that is very concerning you you are right to highlight that um i also am not a fan of hannah and lucas bonding over making fun of mona oh yeah so rude so rude i mean if it was hannah and mona bonding over making fun of lucas i'd be a little bit more okay with it but uh yes yes mona comments that this beauty doesn't need a beast and we kind of get we'll we'll get the the full explanation later but it's clear that the this bag was hannah's old bag that she sold online and it's apparently super shameful that mona bought a bag secondhand well yeah why why sell a bag if you don't want people to buy it that's yeah i don't i don't like that whole thing at all um no but next up there's an a message for emily uh which is hey em you weren't the only one with great expectations check it out and then there's an xoxo a as if a is channeling gossip girl and charles dickens being paid by the letter yes yeah mona is so busy she goes right from she flounces off right from uh right from from this Lucas and Mona con- Hannah conversation to send this text I'm wondering if she maybe orchestrated the whole storm somehow I I mean it's entirely possible between uh her you know like with her hyper adrenalized reality she probably just like went outside and spun around a bunch of times and yeah that's how uh that's how the the tornado came into being yes absolutely absolutely uh Wilton very creepily asks if he can how he gets into the boys locker room um I guess he's being an equal opportunity creep here 
And, uh, oh, and oh, I call you out on that. He doesn't really want to get in the boys' locker room. No. He wants the head lady of the test to go away so that he can be left alone in the library full of minors who have no guardians or legal representation present. Well, that is also true. <laughs> that is also very true. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, this scene, you really get that there's, there's no, that nobody is going to be putting a wedge between the liars. Yeah, yeah. Um, we know that. Uh, they're they're freaking out like the thing they're freaking out about right now uh, is whether Jason told Wilden Allie's version of the Jenna thing uh, and Spencer says uh, no you know he knows that story is bogus and uh, yeah she's she's saying Jason and the others are trying to drive a wedge between them and that turns out to be kind of a prophetic statement uh, because that's exactly what the rest of this episode is going to be about at least on Wilden's yes. end absolutely um, the liars cover for Emily saying that they were all studying at Spencer's. Uh, and then Emily gets kind of defensive when they ask her afterwards why she why she lied. And um, Hannah very sweetly says that Emily will talk when she's ready, mm-hmm. when Emily flounces off. Yeah, yeah. Hannah definitely thinks that she's in on this secret and the secret yes. is about Maya. And you also, you really get the impression that Hannah, Hannah kind of likes having this secret that she's in the know. Yes. Like she, uh, she doesn't mind at all uh, feeling like she kind of has the, the inside track on this. Uh, and oh, Emily, totally. Uh, Emily is actually now going on a queer specific mission, uh, but it is to retrieve great expectations from the shelf. Uh, she, you know, flips through the pages of the book and a letter falls out a letter yep emily to allison and the liars get a text uh that that basically warns them that they are about to lose emily yes oh yeah the message goes to spencer and she shows uh she shows everyone they look around worriedly and uh, also they are all studying with these giant prep books open on the table uh and at first i was like what are all these books do they like are they all trying to like read the dictionary before the test starts <laughs> but i i still feel like the prep books thing is weird like you should have prepared enough by the time you get there to take the test like you didn't know that you were all going to have this weird like indefinite storm related delay so I, I feel it's odd that everyone bought their prep books but to, to each I- their own I venture to say they probably wouldn't even be allowed to look at their prep books this late in the game. Yes. There's, there's also a lot of pencil acting in this episode. Like, people are, like, twirling pencils. A lot of elaborate pencil work. <laughs> yes, like, sharpening pencils, twirling pencils, like, taking notes. Like, everybody's got a pencil, and they want to make sure that they're using it. Well, I also, uh, I would also posit, since you didn't know that there was going to be this large storm-related delay, you should have sharpened your pencils before coming to the test. I don't really feel like you should have, like eight unsharpened pencils that you're hoping to just like have time and a sharpener to work with on site but that's those are just those are just my own personal tips for test prep agreed agreed um we we see more weirdness from alex about spencer's mom uh and we see mona um Mona being upset about Lucas laughing at her. We we learn, you know, for sure about the bag that, that Mona bought online, which is, again, apparently, like, the super shameful thing. Uh, and Mona, very deftly, when Hannah kind of calls her out on the bag, turns it around to ask about Lucas and to ask about what Hannah is doing selling her bags. She says, what are you, poor now? 
and announces that she is registered at Saks for her birthday. Oh, uh, yes. Um, well, you know, Mona says when Hannah tells her about the bag, Mona says she knew that it was Hannah's bag and she bought it as a goof, which is true and untrue. She did know it was Hannah's bag, but she bought it because it had been near Hannah's skin. Um, I, <laughs> I am nonetheless delighted that we get this mention of Mona's upcoming birthday. And I personally would love to see a Mona registry. What do you get the girl who can steal or hyper-adrenalize reality everything? Oh my God. Yeah, what do you get her? You get her, I mean, yeah, you get her... You get her a bunch of computers for like her hacking room. You yeah. get her surveillance electronics. Uh, a yep. probably accepts real estate. Yep, yep. A lifetime supply of black hoodies. A pasta uh, money. Right, right. Yeah, like maybe some random like bugs and like rodents and worms <laughs> and things that she can just deposit into people's food. Yeah, like- like maybe a maybe a like creative stalking for dummies book um you know actually mother yeah. probably wrote that book so it might not be as good of a gift but she yeah like, yeah um yeah maybe like uh diagrams of like how to break into any vehicle um yeah there's just there's lots of possibilities i would love to see what is on mona vanderwall's uh sax registry I agree. I agree. And my next note is, oh no, the Presria theme music is playing. <laughs> Aria, Aria, like just, just looking at a photograph of Ezra sends her into a tailspin. Of course, Ezra runs the poetry club. Yes. Aria's in the library. Awful the photo. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, Aria, you have the, you have the golden orchid, which is for the award for writing prose. And then you have the gold falafel, which is apparently their word for it in poetry. Uh, yeah, uh, yes. Spoiler alert, if you're not following us on Instagram, I have a very nice screenshot uh, that I have made of the Poetry Circle picture. So keep an eye out, you listeners. Yes, yes, that'll, that'll be posted later. Um, our cat is looking at me with like murder eyes right now. Um, what are you doing? So, so yes, yes, we, we get Aria looking at this photo of the poetry club and like falling into a trance. Thankfully, Noel walks up to her and, but, you know, Noel does not really know how to flirt with Aria because he invites her to a basketball game, uh, which is not going to be Aria's thing. But you know what I, you know what, the note I took is that Noel, you know who likes basketball is Sean. You yes. take your boyfriend, Sean. I have an identical note because it's Friday night, courtside seats for the Sixers versus the Celtics. This sounds like a date he should go on with Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Maria is uh, not interested in a basketball game or a hockey game. She does not like pro sports and ham. He can continue. <laughs> he can continue throwing out uh, major league activities and she will not be interested uh, but she is more interested in busting out of their library room prison with him. Noel, being Noel, is off to find a more fun room. Yes, yeah, Noel's Noel's going to get the party started in another fun room. I like the evolution of party boy Noel. Like, he seems like kind of a harmless party boy in these early seasons. And then, like, we'll come to, you know, seasons two and three, and it's like death match of truth in the <laughs> con basement, you know? Um Yes, we go back to the Marin house where Ashley is actually making Byron toast. Like she is putting the toast in the toaster herself. She um she she offers him either like 
still cold or burn to a crisp before the power goes out. And so still cold toast it will be. Yes. And then she adds she adds candles. And I said, Ashley, do not try to like do not add candles. Like you're just making it more, seem more romantic. <laughs> uh, yeah, Byron is standing there. He has a stupid fuzzy wanna beard uh, while he's messing <laughs> with the fact machine. You know, because obviously he shaves with some kind of fancy electric razor uh, that doesn't have the battery charged if the power is out. Uh, when they lose power at her house too, uh, he gets really upset because the thing he is trying to fax is a permission slip for Mike, who is currently on a lacrosse trip. Uh, legal liability in Rosewood is a mysterious thing. You need a permission slip to go on a road trip with a team that you're on, but people constantly get almost murdered at school dances and no one bats an eye. (laughs) Byron sells Ashley a sob story of his brave foray into single fatherhood and how he has so much trouble keeping up because he is only a man. Yeah, he acts like, you know, Ella, like, died of cholera, and he's been tasked to, like, take care of the children before they summer with their auntie or something. Like, Byron, dude, like, (laughs) this is all your fault. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and also, it is a permission slip. It's not like he had to, like, yeah, it's not like he had to do, uh, you know, advanced calculus for it. Also, like Aria is just sort of raising herself. Like Mike, <laughs> like Mike is really the only person he has to worry about, and he's not doing a super good job there. Uh, also, Aria was not even like home yesterday. She was studying at Spencer's, and then presumably they spent the night because Veronica took them all to the school. So, right, I don't know what he was up to. I feel like he could have done a better job on this permission slip, uh, and I also feel like he could make his own toast should the situation call for it. Yes, I agree. Well, you know, Arya already has a dad. It's her daddy, Prezra Fitz. Mm-hmm. So it's true. Know, apparently, she doesn't need another one. Um, and speaking of Arya, we go to the music room where Noel is playing the guitar, which is so much better than the visual of Ezra playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. And Noel is talking about how he like he secretly plays the guitar because his dad is afraid that he's going to blow off college and busk around around the city. And I kind of want the show about the Khan family and like their weird misadventures. Like, I feel like it's like a little bit dynasty ish. Like, I want to know. I want to know their situation. And then Arya starts singing because, of course, she does. Well, yeah, this is like a relic of when uh, when the show was still sort of playing around with the idea of whether or not Lucy Hale was the star. Uh, yes. And so they, they give her this, uh, you know, as, as you do when you sneak out of the SATs, you uh, go into the music room with this uh, charming, rich young man who secretly plays the guitar, and uh, you sing Who Knows Where the Time Goes. Yeah, you sing a song that nobody in this age group would ever sing i mean aria aria does have a line about like oh my parents used to play this all the time there is no way that noel would know how to play this song on the guitar (laughs) oh man but so uh she's singing and the song continues to play over emily uh who's looking sadly at the dickens novel uh we get a flashback to allison in the stacks laughing at the names of the characters um, she strokes Emily's hair under the guise of wanting to braid it sometime. Uh, Emily brings up having a dream about Jenna, and Allie tells her stop thinking about it. There are tons of operations they can do now. Uh, Emily explains the dream was that Jenna came back and she was fine. She could see and she forgave them all. 
Oh, Emily. Oh, Emily. I know, the ultimate Pollyanna. Oh, man. Uh, But then Allison says, that's why I love you. You're big on happy endings. And so is Dickens. Uh, Pip gets Estella in the end, which is an interesting, uh, that's an interesting interpretation. Uh, There were two different ways that the ending of that book could have gone. And I feel like that's a kind of representative of of how Emerson turned out. But uh, Allison then reads a part of the novel to Emily. I loved her against reason, against promise, against peace, against hope, against happiness, against all discouragement that could be. And Emily leans in and kisses Allison because they both know she loves Allie exactly that way. Uh, It's a quick kiss, but Allie smiles with a genuine sweetness when it's over. She doesn't rebuff or chastise Emily. In fact, I would say she looks kind of happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. This smile, there's a couple ways to read this smile, I feel. Like, I, I think you can totally read it that Allison is happy. I think you can read it that Allison is a little bit mournful because of her internalized homophobia and everything else that goes on inside Allison's brain. I think you can also read it that Allison maybe is telling herself that she just did that for Emily, that she's that she doesn't actually feel anything towards Emily in return. So there's a there's a few different ways you can read this scene, but uh it's it's a really it's a really lovely lovely sweet moment between Emily and Allison. Yeah, and I really um, I give flashback Emily a lot of props because the kiss, although Allison is kind of initiating it by reading this passage of the book that is definitely uh, meant to be meaningful for the two of them, it is Emily who leans forward for the kiss. Yes, well, and I think that one of the things I agree. I think that one of the things that we'll see in this episode is that. Um, obviously Emily's, Emily's, uh, internalized homophobia and shame has a lot to do with her parents, but it also has a lot to do with Allison and that maybe this girl in this moment, uh, wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't feeling as much shame as the Emily that we see at the beginning of the series. Well, yeah, I think that Emily's feelings for Allison, I think this kick of you know first love i think it's more powerful than her feelings of shame are at this time like the override switch um from like the Mm -hmm. endorphin of her of her huge crush um you know i I just think that's going full force for her uh but i also think it's really interesting uh you know when you think about allison kind of engineering this situation where emily may you know be be moved to take action there are like 101 ways that allison de laurentis can manipulate someone to do something and i think Mm -hmm. it's so interesting uh that she does this in broad daylight she does this in uh in the stacks of a library she doesn't engineer this at a party she doesn't engineer this when they've been drinking uh you know she doesn't engineer this during a game of truth or dare um you know she's not pretending to be someone else here she's allison and emily is Mm -hmm. And I just think that's an interesting, that's an interesting relationship note for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And this is the most explicitly we've seen the nature of their relationship. It's been hinted at up to this point, but here we're really seeing it. Yeah. Uh, And we cut back to the present day where Emily looks over the letter and then we go back to the music room where Aria is still singing her heart out and looking at Noel thirstily. They almost quit kiss before Prezra Fitz himself arrives, soaking wet and looking mournful. 
and uh, he starts speaking like a serial killer because that's what he likes to do. He he, um, he says that they want everybody in the library. Aria is mad that he didn't return her calls. Uh, Ezra was in New York, probably submitting his manuscript about Allison. Uh, and <laughs> she has this line where she's really indignant with him. And I, I took the note, has any line ever sounded more childlike than you tell me at homecoming that you got a haircut for me? Focusing oh. on things. Eddie made a fake bracelet just to mess with us. And Ezra told me he got a haircut just for me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, they have this conversation that they have had a thousand times and will have a thousand times more. Arya storms away crying. Yes. Um, I mean, what could be worse than you're about to kiss Noel Khan exclamation point when <laughs> your adult man English teacher who is stalking you and preying on you in the interest of writing a true crime book shows up all wet and stupid looking. And <laughs> I think it's also an interesting note because uh, Ezra says everybody has to be together. Everybody's supposed to be back in the library. It's really interesting here. Uh, the people who care enough to make you go back to the safe place and the people who don't Ezra Prezra sends Noel back uh, to the, to the safe place to get away, to get him away from uh, Prezria. But uh, Ezra is fine letting Arya stay here uh, with him so that they can have, as you mentioned, the same conversation that they always have. Exactly. And you know, it, it's interesting. And this, as, as we, as this week continue watching, we'll see this storyline develop, but Noel will be one of the few characters to kind of call out Presria. And within the show, it's framed as like, oh God, Noel, it's awful. He's threatening us. But Noel was actually, is actually going to try to do the right thing. It's maybe a little twisted the way he goes about it, but it's still, he's still basically saying like, yo, this needs to get exposed. Well, yeah, and I think you see in this episode, uh, Noel, probably because he does have uh, romantic interest in Arya, like, Noel's, like, antennas are up about, yes. about fits. Like, he definitely mm-hmm. is getting a vibe that something is weird, something is not quite right, and uh, props to him for paying attention to what is actually going on with Arya in a way that a lot of other characters are not at this time. Well, and it also makes you wonder, I mean, Noel, Noel, we know, is a character who's very involved in the social scene of Rosewood, probably involved in the gossip mill, has a lot of, you know, info. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, the liars are so absorbed in their own dramas, they're not really paying attention to what's going on with Arya and Ezra. But are there rumors? Do people, even even not, maybe even Arya specific, but rumors about Fitz, rumors about Fitz's relationship with Allison, mm-hmm. rumors about Fitz's relationship with other young girls. Well, right. Uh, there have been at least two times when, uh, when Mr. Fitz has behaved super inappropriately in front of his entire class right. related to Arya. So yeah, I'm sure there must be rumors that are flying around about them. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, um, can, I, can I take us to the Marin Manor oh, of Montgomery, Maine? <laughs> take us away. Uh, so candles are lit. Wine is being drunk. Cell service is lost. Byron asks Ashley if she knows why Ella left. She does. The whole street knows. Good. Uh, he somehow segues his infidelity uh into Ashley being a cool girl for still letting an unfaithful husband use her facts. 
Um, <laughs> in on how hard it is to not be part of a couple. And oh, he is totally trying to get her into bed so she can marry him and raise his children and make him toast. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, he, he manages to sort of backdoor invite her to this faculty dinner. They have this whole conversation about divorce and I just have to say that when Ella and Ashley have this conversation in season three it is much more charming and there's much more chemistry uh yeah they it, it's it's really interesting because I feel like Ashley's much like in the last episode with Byron Ashley's saying one thing but her face is doing another thing which almost makes me wonder if Laura Layton felt some type of way about this storyline like if she was just like and eh, eh, not into it because I feel like all of her lines, like she's saying these really supportive lines, but they're all kind of said through a grimace. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. So. Um, it is I interesting. Know. I feel like, uh, well, but you know what? I, I feel like this also kind of speaks to, like, not only does Ashley have bad taste in men, but you you sometimes get the idea that Ashley was maybe, you know, maybe she comes from a background where, um you're supposed to be grateful for male affection like and male sure you know like you're supposed to respond to that and she's instinctively responding that way even though like her brain is kind of like oh so reptilian (laughs) so gross yeah yeah needing to be um grateful for male attention or needing to sort of uh utilize male attention whenever you come across it like sort of lean into it because you might have to you might have to use it later i mean that kind of she she figured that out with wilden pretty quickly um yeah we go we go back to the locker room where mona is so angry at lucas oh yeah they've been been herded there because there's a tornado now yes now it's a tornado it's been upgraded to a tornado um hannah says what has lucas ever done to you and I took the note, like, he poses a legitimate romantic threat, whereas Sean does not. That's exactly what Lucas has done to Mona. Yes, yes. And actually, even if uh, even if nothing romantic happens between Hannah and Lucas, Mona, it's like, Mona is already feeling like her position with Hannah is precarious. Like, her position yes. is Hannah's main non-liar relationship. And so that, I feel like, is why Mona is ferocious in trying to fend off Lucas. Not only because he is a legitimate romantic threat, but also because she does not want Hannah's main non-liar friend to suddenly become this jerk. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But Mona doesn't say all of that. She says that Lucas bugs her. And they, and they trade some sick Wizard of Oz burns. Um, these, these also might have been have that kind of 1950s feel to them. Uh, Mona, Mona says that maybe the wizard can, Lucas can ask the wizard for a penis. And Hannah's return barb is that maybe uh, Mona can ask the wizard for a heart. Yes, yes. I actually feel like a better burn would have been uh, Lucas can ask the wizard for a penis and then the comeback would be so Sean will be interested in him. (laughs) There you go. Um, Yes, uh, Spencer is continuing to mope and worry about Alex and her mom. This storyline, the payoff is good, but the ramp up to the payoff is kind of um, kind of 
kind of silly. Do you get the idea that Spencer thinks that maybe something has happened, that maybe her mom has sort of played a Mrs. Robinson club type role uh, with Alex and like she's trying to ask Alex about it to her credit and he's he is being very evasive uh, and then Spencer sort of melodramatically asks if they're ever going to get past this thing with her mother and my note was like well it's only been happening for like an hour it's not like are we ever going to get past it you literally just learned about it this morning <laughs> right but Alex says it's not up to him to talk about it's up to her mom and then he goes off to sit somewhere else right well, and I, and I do think that some of this as well is not only does Spencer worry that uh, her mom and Alex may have may have had a Mrs. Robinson situation, but I think that she's also concerned this this is this is pressing on the bruise of her other concerns about her, the way her family will react to Alex in general. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, Alex works at the club, her family is are members of the club. And so this is just stirring up all of that anxiety. But I, they, they don't, it, it's, it feels very one note for like 75% of the episode. And then the last 25%, there's some good payoff. Yeah. Um, back at the library, Emily is still reading the letter. Uh, we go into another flashback. We are in the locker room. Uh, <laughs> this scene, poor Emily, Emily Fields. Um, Allison is, it, it, it seems that Allison has just gone swimming. And uh, Emily, I don't think Emily's hair is wet. So maybe Emily just watched Allison go swimming. And uh, Allie, Allie is talking about how she wants to, um, you know, meet a French family and like be their au pair. She's bringing up Paris. And uh, she, while changing her clothes, dropping her towel in front of Emily, (laughs) Emily's little eyeballs are just ping-ponging all over the place, but she's trying to keep it under control. Allie uh, asks Emily to hook her bra, and Emily bravely kisses Allie's shoulder and gets immediately shot down. Yes. Uh, yeah. The the whole setup here, like asking Emily to hook her bra, a task which Allie, Allie can obviously do for herself, and poor Emily, she like sweeps her hand down Allison's back, she hooks the bra, she caresses Allison's shoulder, which all seems fine. And then she sort of chastely kisses the side of Allison's neck and Allison just brutally ices her. Like, what are you doing? Just because we kissed in the library, Emily, doesn't mean I'm into you like that. A kiss is a kiss. I like boys. And trust me, if I'm kissing you, it's because it's practice for the real thing. And Emily is devastated, but silent. She closes her locker and walks away only to have Allison call after her, where are you going? You're my ride, remember? Which then forces Emily to lean on the locker full of hurt feelings and despair. So yes. what, what are your thoughts on what's really going on here? Is it more of Allison's manipulation or is Allison like actually underneath it all struggling through internalized biphobia? What, what's your take? You know, the, the ferocity of the reaction here I don't I don't feel like it's manipulation here I mean I feel like and maybe there's some manipulation but this is Kenneth speaking through Allison in this moment mm. that, um, he's just it like whiplash she's so intensely upset just 
this um, this tirade of words at the ready to kind of throw back at Emily. And it really feels like um, she's learned from from her family too. And one of the this moment is we watch the shame growing in Emily. We watch Emily sort of taking on some of that shame that Allison has. Uh, and and it it kind of puts us in the context of the Emily that we see you know, freaking out about the photo strip pic pictures a few episodes ago with Maya. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, as as you know, just because we've talked about this a lot, like not on a podcast, but I think that Allison's internalized homophobia is one of the most interesting things about her character. And I don't know whether the writers intended to write it that way or whether, um, you know, whether she's just really played with having a lot of layers. But I think that a lot of Allison's uh, actions and reactions in the early seasons uh, can really be uh, can really be construed as Allison, uh, you know, wanting to be at the top of the social pyramid so that nothing like nothing can hurt her so that this mm -hmm. part of herself uh, is not going to make her vulnerable to ridicule. And I, I think um, I don't think that she's being manipulative here. I think that this is internalized biophobia clamping down on her. Uh, and I think that one of the things that shows us that is that uh, she says, just because we kissed in the library, she doesn't throw that on Emily. Even in the middle of the situation, she doesn't throw yeah. it on Emily. And even though we just saw it, and I think it could be like, you could say, you know, you kissed me in the library. Um, but when she says we kissed, it implies that it had, you know, a mutual nature or, a, you know, a reciprocity that she doesn't necessarily need to claim, but does. Um, I agree. I think that I think that early seasons uh, pre-show Emerson is really interesting. As you know, I have uh, I have a fic, J'adore, that is about that. And I also have uh, one that's maybe about the root of Allison's internalized uh, homophobia uh, little sister, the sky is falling. So, I, I mean, I think it's a really, uh, I think it's a really interesting topic. Uh, and I think that you can really see a lot of what Allison does through this lens of her mm -hmm. being a little bit, uh, a little bit afraid of this side of herself. I also think it's interesting, like the scene in the library is so sweet. This scene is so hard to watch, but in both scenes, Allison is definitely, and and really indisputably setting up a situation where she is inviting Emily to take some action and yes. Emily takes action in the library and it goes well, Emily takes action here and it goes really badly. Um, watching this again, actually, I also had a note uh, that I, I think it's, um, it, it really strikes me how this scene plays out. Uh, it plays on a very homophobic trope, the idea that lesbians or queer people shouldn't be allowed access to certain spaces like locker rooms, bathrooms, because they might be checking out mm. women in an unsavory way. I wish this scene was not in a locker room, uh, mm. but it's also hard to say whether Allison would have reacted the same way in a less public space. Yeah, it, I mean, it is interesting just from a sort of logistical standpoint you know, Emily, a huge part of her identity on the show is as a swimmer. And the idea that Allison was swimming, to me, and, and it doesn't seem that Emily was, I mean, to me, that's interesting as well. Like, what, were, was it just that they were, they were having a swim day together? Was it, was it a school thing? Was, 
Emily showing Allie some moves? Like, what's the context here? I also find it interesting, like, so do you think that their kiss in the library was their only kiss in this no. time period? No. I don't either. I don't. I don't either. Do you think that they kissed after this locker room yes. situation? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was very that was that was very immediate. And I'll actually uh, I'll bring you some receipts for that. Okay? Which is uh when Allison comes back from the dead and she tells Emily those kisses weren't just for practice. She yes. says plural. Uh please see evidence bag 18C1 uh <laughs> in my extensive <laughs> notes archive. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think in, in some ways it's kind of that TV shorthand thing where, like, we're only going to reference the scenes that you've actually seen because we're trying to tell this, we're trying to condense this story and tell it just through flashbacks. And TV does that all the time where it's like, you'll distill a, an entire era of a character's life down to one moment because it's easier to explain the story that way. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that's what's happening here. Um that we're meant to infer from this library moment that this is one in a series of multiple encounters, uh, you know, multiple probably conversations about Paris, conversations about literature, that um, possible interactions at the Kissing Rock that, uh, that all ended in the same thing, which was Emerson, Emerson kissing or in other physically intimate with one another. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like what we see of them, I, I think that this is like sort of the law of queer characters on the show. What you see on screen is like just the tip of the iceberg. It's like maybe one tenth of the presumed physical interaction that we can imagine that they had. Um, so yes, I do think that they, uh, I, I do think that they have kissed in various places at, at various times with various results. Do you think that they had sex before the scene in season five? No, I don't. Okay, I I don't. Think yes, so. Even when even when Allison is like slamming this door shut, trust me, if I'm kissing you, it's because it's practice for the real thing. That is a super mean thing to say, but it is also holding out the possibility that they are going to kiss again at another time. <laughs> yeah, it. it it is that line struck me as well i was like huh i mean there's a there's a there's a different way to say this that isn't like holding the door open for for more of this to be happening um it's also kind of interesting in that she says practice for the real thing but at this point we're sort of supposed to believe unless th th this is supposed to be way earlier but we're sort of supposed to believe that allison has had experience yes. with boys uh, older boys, boys her own age. Allison, uh, Allison does not have an overwhelming need to practice. I think is what we're no what we're getting at. Exactly, Allison. Allison has has done her fair share of practicing, uh, and it and it also makes me wonder: Are there other friends friends that Allison has practiced with? Uh, other other girlfriends that Allison has practiced? With? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think that if she has not practiced with some of the other liars, I would certainly, uh, I would bring up Shauna as a prime candidate for, uh, for some yes. summer practicing when Allison goes to visit her grandmother. Yeah, yeah. I also, I also have always felt like, uh, and we'll talk about it more when we get to it, but I've always felt like in season, when we, when we find out that Mona 
um, kept Allison at the hotel that night and like cleaned her up after Allison was pulled out of the ground. I've always felt like you could read a lot into what happened. That yeah. Night. Yeah. Oh, you know, in the, in the previous episode, we were uh, talking about uh, the flashback where Allison tells Hannah, uh, you know, kind of like watch your back. You never know who's coming up behind you or whatever. I felt like uh, it, it's interesting because if Hannah uh, is bounced from the group, who do we think is next up to replace her? And I think it's a super interesting idea that it might be Mona. Um so mm-hmm. that's just a that's just another little yeah. queer note for uh for practice uh but well and just one more quick note on that i'll just say is like the whole idea that mona crafted hannah to become allison and was so obsessed with allison and so in love with mo with hannah really says a lot about mona really being very in love with allison as well i've always felt like mona's mona's Maybe not as in love with Allison as she is with Hannah, but Mona's totally in love. With oh my Allison. gosh! Um, yeah. Okay. So like, I'm I'm just going to <laughs> I'm just going to mention every fic that I've ever written because obviously I have a lot on these t- topics. But the way that Vandermeeren and Emerson wind up being kind of mirrors for each other is also uh, something uh, that that I've written about. Um, so yeah, it's. R- rose in a fisted glove fantastic a, a rich anyone has a rich topic oh my goodness but yeah so this this rough rough locker room scene uh back to the present day the power goes out and emily hears some noises uh she gets up to investigate gets menaced by falling books and thunder the school is always attacking emily always <laughs> And she almost gets glass in her hair. <laughs> she returns to the aisle where she left her bag, and her bag is gone. Uh, and then in, in very, like, soap opera talking out loud to oneself style, she says, where's my bag? Where's the letter? As <laughs> the music crescendos. <laughs> yes. And she's very, like, polite and Canadian. She's like, hello? Is there anyone out there? <laughs> oh, Emily Field. Oh, my goodness. Um, we, we cut to a storage closet where Prezra is going to interact with his future mother-in-law Ella Montgomery uh, Ella is like El- they're, they're, they're looking for food and water because Ella, Ella thinks that food will improve the situation Ella makes sure to uh, put in a visual of her jumping into Fitz's lap which I sound very interesting yeah, I mean I, I have to say I think that Ella is a little bit thirsty in this scene I, I think I do Byron are both a little bit on the prowl for new partners. I, I think this episode like was sort of before Tinder happened, but uh, you know, they're both swiping in this episode. I feel. Okay. So here's, here's the question. If Ella got with Ezra after being with Byron, would she be trading up or trading down? um (laughs) god um i mean i've i've got to say that she would be trading down because if she hooked up with ezra ezra's whole plan would be to like you know humpert humpert style his plan would be to marry her so that he could get access uh to her teenage daughter so that i mean that's down byron is reptilian and gross and unfaithful um, but he is, oh, I was going to say he's not a 
Uh, well, I mean, he's no prince. Let's put it that way. Um, and, <laughs> and celibacy is always an option, Ella. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that ultimately it would be trading down. Yeah. 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 Ne- neither are great. Neither are great. You know who you know who could use some company, Ella? It's actually married. She is great. <laughs> she is awesome. She'll make you toast. She'll pour you wine. You can use- She'll listen to your tales of divorce. You can use her fax machine. That sounds like a metaphor for something. Um, yeah, Ella is um, this is the scene is really sick when you know the full context. Ella is basically asking Ezra if uh, if he's noticed any changes in Arya because of the split and uh, Ezra says I haven't noticed anything alarming in a very creepy way and Ella goes on to say that she's glad that Arya has Ezra in her life an adult that she admires and we all throw up because this scene is so incredibly gross. yes we throw up and then we say Ella talk to your daughter oh my goodness um, but yeah, yeah. she says some things to him that are gonna like inspire him to try to like get Arya's forgiveness I guess uh, that you know Arya can just freeze you out blah 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 um how nice that Arya does have an adult that she admires uh unfortunately in a sexy way uh despite the fact that he is an adult and her teacher and her stalker correct back back in the dark ass locker room uh noel asks Arya if everything was okay with mr fitz um and you know when she says oh you know yeah i just had a couple questions he was out blah 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 uh noel says that she has an incredible voice and that they should you know they should have their little duet uh, again soon better plan than basket yeah yeah more successful um hannah hannah talks to emily and hannah of course as as we said earlier thinks that uh that emily was off with maya last night well we know that she was off with maya on a date recently and Hannah is like, she's saying like, the relationship doesn't have to be a huge secret. You can tell the other girls. She says, it's not like I fell apart. And it's just like, oh, Hannah, you're so much yourself. <laughs> um, but it's also that way in which, like, it's always going to be a bigger deal to Emily than it is to Hannah. You know, I mean, it just is. As evidenced by the fact that Emily would rather not talk about it in this extremely public place that the entire school is crowded into. <laughs> And Hannah's just yes. like, Hannah. <laughs> Hannah's like, were you making out with your lesbian girlfriend, Emily? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> not now, Hannah. <laughs> uh, then uh, Detective Wilden, aka someone we should keep out of locker rooms, appears and uh, yes. says they found something that belongs to Emily, and she needs to come with him. Uh, my question to you is, do you think Mona stole the purse and turned it in, or do we think Wilden stole it? Um, oh, I've always thought Wilden stole it. I think Wilden stole it, too. I was just wondering. Yeah, I think Wilden stole it, too. I also have to say, shame on us for making it this far into the episode and not making a locker room talk joke. <laughs> because now we're about to move out of the locker room and our opportunity has has ended that's true it, it's okay it's okay well it's they'll okay. be back in the locker room eventually they will yeah <laughs> there'll be plenty of time for that <laughs> um uh no go ahead go ahead take us okay take us to the next scene yes this is a great scene um so we we go it's time to go back to the library 
Uh, Wilden is just being super menacing and super creepy and super inappropriate. He has photos of Emily at the trashed memorial. Now, this, I think, was Mona. Yes, I yes. Think, that was- I think that Mona took these pictures and sent them to Wilbur. Yeah, and um, he takes Emily out of the safe area, safe from the tornado, yes. takes her to the library. Yes. Uh, but it's Hannah who, like, rallies the troops and the other liars burst in uh, before he has time to really do more than show her that he has her bag and to kind of be lightly menacing about it. Uh, he actually seems fine with the other liars bursting in, uh, and he says, you know, regarding them not being in the locker room, I'm guessing you girls are used to being in places you're not supposed to be. Um, yep yeah yeah I mean he he clearly his plan here is he's just going to use Emily's shame against her and so actually it works in his favor that the other liars are here because there's now the threat of um of her being outed to them uh yes she's just she's so full of she's just so there's just so much going on for her she's she's crying she's tearful we look at these pictures of her at the trashed memorial he shows to the other liars much to their fear exactly um and she insists that she found it like that uh hannah is so great she's taking emily's side you know calling wilden a creep but then wilden brings up the letter oh well yeah yeah well uh, hannah is is fantastic the other liars are freaked out about the picture uh wilden is implying that maybe she and toby were in on it together he points out her muddy shoes and then he pulls the coca pelly figures out of her bag uh, at which point, Sparia, they're like aghast, but Hannah immediately accuses him of planting them, which I, I love. I love that Hannah like doesn't need to know the whole story, but Hannah is just going to believe Emily 110%. Yeah, yeah. Hannah, Hannah is the best. Hannah is the best. Um, and and he, he, he pulls out the letter and he's basically saying, like, do you want to tell them what's in this letter or should I? Uh, and, and Emily says that she went back to the memorial to say she was sorry. And she says, I loved her as more than a friend. I just never had the chance to tell her in the right way. Which I cannot read that line now without thinking of Mona because of your awesome fit. And just because of all the time that I've put into thinking about the connections between between uh, Vandermeeren and Emerson, which I've spent a lot of time thinking about those connections. And uh, it's just, that's such a, that idea of telling her in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so touching that Emily, uh, Emily believes that there was a right way that she could have told her that would have changed things that would have, uh, you know, that would have given her more of a closure on whatever it was that they were doing or, or pretending not to do. Uh, and I, I think that that's really true about Mona as well. I think that there have been a lot of, uh, you know, like when you when you look at the whole A game, I think that in so many ways that is Mona trying to tell Hannah and just not mm-hmm. not knowing the right way to do it, um, which is it's it's sad. It's sad to think about that. Um, do you feel like there is uh, a, a right way to tell someone when you when you have these uh teenage feelings for your best friend do you think that there is uh, a right way or a wrong way to share those well i think in the context of emily and allison emily emily really did the best she could i mean i have to say i think that she she was in 
she was in a, I mean, I think she did try to tell Allison in the right way and Allison shut her down. And so her only, her only way to go was with the letter. And, and I, I've always been curious if, if Allison actually ever got the letter. I think, I don't, that, she, I think that she did. Cause it's like, it has a postmark and a stamp and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I think that, I think that the way that Emily went about it was pretty close to the right way. I mean, for a teenager in that situation, what, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that if you spend your, I, I just think if you spend your whole life waiting for like the right moment or the, the right way to do something, it may never, mm-hmm. I mean, it may never actually appear. I think it's much more important that you actually just maybe have the conversation um, as opposed to just, you know, kind of like, staying in this like ambiguously queer space that they were in for so long with this romantic friendship that they had going on um well and i think sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i I was just gonna say i think that mona is sort of the representation of what happens when you don't yes when you when you are always waiting for the right time when you when you don't say the words and they just fester and turn it into something else and get all mixed up with a lot of darkness and a lot of rage and a lot of resentment. And uh, Emily, I think had the right idea. Yeah. Mona's heart is like a tree in the forest <clears throat> to <clears throat> quote a fix we were talking about a minute ago, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Hannah demands that Wilden give the letter back or she will rip his head off. Uh Wilden refuses. He says no one's leaving until Emily explains why she's carting around pieces of Allison's memorial. And Emily kind of tearfully declares that she took them because uh, they were the only things that weren't broken, which is heartbreaking. Yeah, that that is like that. So the line from Hannah about give it back to her now or I swear to God, I will rip your head off, like totally made me choked up when I rewatched the episode. Uh, and that line from em- for Emily, I took them because they were the only things that weren't broken, is like Emily Fields it, as a character, is that line. Like, that's that's what she was trying to do with Allison. That's what she try- tries to do with Paige. Like, that's that's Emily seeing the good in people, seeing the good in things, trying to, you know, spin something good out of something terrible that has happened and and trying to find the light in the darkness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, can I talk about the cavalry that's about to arrive? Yes. Oh my gosh, it is riding in in the form of avenging angel Veronica Hastings. She wants to know why the girls aren't in the locker room with the other kids. She wants to know why Emily is crying. And instead of asking Emily, she kind of hilariously says to Spencer, why is she crying? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like an animal or a baby or something. <laughs> Liars. Uh, and like, so we... we this is the first that Spencer and Aria have heard about Emily uh, being in love with Allison, about Emily being interested uh, in women. And uh, they were taken aback at first, but in the moment when Veronica sweeps in, uh, Spencer uh, goes over to Emily and puts her arm around her and uh, yeah. says that, uh, you know, Wilden accused her of murdering Allison and Aria jumps in and says he searched her bag without permission. And this is all Mama Hastings needs to hear. She just goes 
off. You know, you were questioning minors without an adult present. What police department do you work for? What century are you in? Uh, she tells him to back off that anything they say is inadmissible, period. She sweeps Emily under her wing and tells him he is done with the case unless he wants to face her down as opposing counsel. And she just exits stage left with the liars in tow yeah he starts off with some ma'am i would advise you and she goes right into oh no i would advise you to back off (laughs) (sighs) so good veronica hastings yeah mvp veronica hastings is uh you know i i've i've had some questions about the hastings parenting uh in this season i will definitely have a lot more questions about it in the later seasons but Uh, In this episode, it is difficult not to give Veronica the crown uh, for best parenting of the episode 100% for sure. Yes. Yes, absolutely. She does a fantastic job. And we love them. Um, Like, I always love when the the parents are, you know, they're around so rarely as the years go on. It's really nice when they parent the other liars, not only their own kid, but like the the group as a whole. And I, I love veronica parenting emily and on a legal note i would like to say that i think veronica acts as their counsel here so i feel like you could argue that like anytime the police talk to them about allison's murder after this they're sort of violating their rights by not having veronica be present that's true and later aria will hire veronica for a dollar it's true um that's true yeah i i really love you know it's not like emily veronica is not around for the emily coming out moment so it's not like veronica is privy to this information but i really love you know emily knows that her own parents are not going to take this information well her mother in particular is going to have a very negative reaction and emily pretty much knows that and so i really love uh emily having this rush of protective strong maternal energy right on the heels of her confession about Allison. It just, it, it works really nicely as a moment of support for Emily. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, but back to locker room talk. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yes, we go back to the locker room where Veronica is exhausted and hungry after her tirade against Wilden and needs a protein bar. Uh, Emily is sitting sadly alone and Aria comes over and joins her. She starts off by saying that she wishes wishes she would have known, and she says that um, she knows that Allison loved Emily. It might not have been in the way that Emily wanted to, but she did love her. Yeah, and that's just really, it's so sweet and so reassuring, and I just feel like the liars really, they're behaving beautifully uh, in the wake of this revelation. Absolutely. And there's really this sense, you know, they had the Samantha Ronson joke from a couple of weeks ago. And there's really sort of this sense that it's like, we will not be hearing any more of those jokes. Mm -hmm. Like, we, the liars are now going to be functioning with a level of awareness that they didn't have previously. And from now on, Emily being gay is just the most normal thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, We learned that the SAT is going to be rescheduled, the students cheer in the locker room. Uh, We have Veronica and Spencer. Uh, When Spencer thanks Veronica, Veronica says, it was pro bono, which I just love you, Veronica. Um, And Spencer says that she needs to find out what happened between Veronica and Alex before the car ride home. Veronica takes Spencer into a classroom and closes the door, which really freaks Spencer out. Um, And Veronica starts talking about 
this this um this weekend at the club when Peter and the the girls were not around and she got really really drunk and Spencer is like okay never mind abort mission I don't need to know I don't need to know and Veronica goes on to explain she was drunk all weekend at the club and the reason that she um <laughs> that she got so sauced is because the doctors had removed a lump from her breast and uh she she was feeling she was feeling powerless and Alex took really good care of her got her into a cab she made him promise not to tell um Spencer is shocked that that she and Peter would have kept this information from Spencer and Veronica in uh perfect Hastings mode says what makes you think your father knows uh she goes on to say that our family doesn't handle imperfection well I love this scene between the two of them um i think that it's such an interesting character point that veronica could have this like major medical scare and not feel like peter is someone that she can confide in that her life partner is not someone that she can talk to about this Uh, i also feel like this is one of the first times that we see the hastings family expectations and their desire to put up this perfect front for the world uh, we see that it's harmful to characters other than Spencer. It's also mm-hmm. it's also not great for her mom. And on one hand, like, you know, Veronica is an adult. Veronica could try to change this family dynamic, uh, but it's obviously been in place for a long time and it's bigger than both of them. Uh, but it's really, you know, it's really brave of Veronica. Uh, this is a secret that she's been keeping for a while and now she's choosing to share it with Spencer, uh, which I think is is very hopeful Uh, in terms of the relationship that the two of them have. I agree. And, you know, to put it in the larger context, like Veronica is the wife. Veronica married into this family. And so there are, she could, you know, she could make changes to their particular family unit, but there's probably, you know, this kind of attitude and dysfunction enmeshed in the whole Hastings lineage. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, it's kind of, it's like, it's just this institution of it right yeah yeah um yeah it's true that is what it is it's an institution that continues to exist whether or not it is serving anyone exactly exactly yeah yeah um we go back to marin the marin house where byron and ashley are carefully pulling the permission slip out of the fax machine byron makes sure to compliment ashley's hands uh and then the power comes back on and they discovered that the facts go for- no, the facts went through and once ashley gets a look at him in daylight uh, <laughs> realized that they should not go out on saturday night thank goodness yes this is a very bad idea uh yes yes thank you next they <laughs> shall not be going out tonight and uh thank god you know we all have to thank god for that i like i really like the capper to this scene is actually blowing out the candle <laughs> yes yes uh the tiny flicker of whatever that was is extinguished at the end of this episode and uh happy happy to see that very very happy um yes and Oh, go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just saying back at school, oh. Aria decides she's going to have dinner at her mom's on Friday and then go on a date with Noel on Saturday. A date date. Yes. Um, not just a date. Yes. Uh, yeah, there's lots of good mom content in this episode. Um, I, I really felt 
Um, you know, one of the things that we we didn't really talk about in the Ella and the Ella Ezra scene is that Ella really gets tearful over her relationship with Arya. She mentions that when Arya wants to ice someone out, it's like you could freeze or something. She some, uses some to get frostbite. Uh, and it's really nice to see Arya softening towards her mom. I mean, Ella has not been a perfect parent, but she's trying. And we see that Arya is, is trying now too. Uh, Spencer and Alex make out again in the hallway, but this time it's more of a thank you make out. Uh, Spencer is very grateful to learn that A, Alex is a nice guy, and B, Alex did not have an affair with her mother. <laughs> Even more of a relief. And in the library, the rain has turned to sunshine as Emily looks out the window and puts great expectations back on the shelf. Yes. Uh, then we go back to Lucas, who tells Hannah her jacket sold for $96 and thanks Hannah for standing up to Mona. Uh, Hannah says no thanks are needed. She is his friend. Uh, and then he has a moment of trying to tell her something else, but she is already walking away. The camera pans down and we see that his shoes are very muddy <laughs> like ridiculously muddy um <laughs> yes they yeah they have mud and guilt smeared all over them <laughs> they do do you think that he was going to confess about the what he did to the the memorial or do you think he was going to confess that he's in love with her or both Ooh, i thought he was going to confess about the memorial um, okay i think so too i, I think so too think I don't think that Lucas has, um, I don't think he really has the bravery that it would take to tell Hannah uh, firmly and in, you know, out loud and in daylight that he's in love with her. Um, mm -hmm. Because like the, the closest that he gets to confessing that to her is, uh, is a few episodes from now when she's in the hospital and he kisses her when she's as asleep, but is not really asleep um right so i i feel like it's just not something uh he's had plenty of opportunities they've had plenty of time alone and um you know he's speaking up is not his thing uh kind of like kind of like creeping around and trying to get love kernels is much more his speed he loved her as more than a friend he just never mm -hmm. had the chance to tell her in the right way yes no i'm not <laughs> much more sympathy <laughs> much more sympathy for uh, the the Vandermeeren piece of that, I wonder if there are people. I bet there are. I wonder if there are people who ship Lucas and Hannah, like as a. Oh, I can tell you that there are. Are there? Like I've there's I, there's a fair amount of thick out there. No, I've read a couple that I think are by Potions Mistress, maybe that are that are about the two of them, and I I've I've liked those, but I've I've just never really, I've never really seen a lot of it. I've never really looked for it, but. Um, that's interesting. That's interesting that there are people who feel like that's the that's the one that they want to go with. Well, you know, I mean, I know I've said this before. I'll probably say this a hundred times before our podcast is done. But I just find it so fascinating that it's like Lucas. Lucas is the is the text to Mona's subtext. Mm -hmm. Like Lucas, Lucas is operating on this very clear level of being like unequivocally in love with Hannah. His actions are motivated by his love for Hannah. There's no question about it. There's no, we're not beating around any bushes. Like that's what's happening. And Mona, Mona's game is like another version of that same game. 
but Lucas is allowed, it's allowed to be text with Lucas and with Mona, it's subtext. And I just, I find that fascinating. And I don't, I mean, I don't really fault the writers for it. In some ways, I think it's kind of, in some ways, I feel like Lucas's behavior almost highlights Mona's behavior. Like it's, he's allowed to play it out in that way. But it's, it's interesting to track. Well, especially because Lucas is the other member of the A-team at this point. So they're right. both A. Like, that's that's another parallel between the two of them. Is he A at this point? Well, I, is he-, he, is, he is the A who assists Mona. Um, I don't know that's if true. he's the A now or if he was, if he's the A later. He's definitely the A. The, the thing we know that he does as the A is when he gives Emily that massage later, <laughs> which is later on, which is like so so icky. Um, it's the creepiest, the creepiest a thing is, is that they gave is that they had him give Emily the massage. But you know, I mean, what's also funny about that too is in doing that, it's like that would have that's another moment where they could have made it Mona's queerness more explicit, like having it be that she gave Emily the massage, and I'm glad that she didn't. <laughs> But like it's just so funny. It's like it, it's 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 like we're always zigging right away from like the super super explicitly calling that out. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, and then we get an A tag, which is uh, something we have not seen before—a video of Allison uh, being mailed to the Rosewood PD. I really love that Mona, as she puts this video in the Manila envelope, writes where you would write the return address anonymous instead of just not putting a return address <laughs> so that if someone is like who sent this i mean it is the road department you do probably have to be pretty explicit with them who sent this oh look anonymous anonymous ah that explains everything case closed ah. But uh, Allison in the video is at the kissing rock uh, and she's the thing that she is saying is, I know you want to kiss me. Yes. And this video and that line will uh, will come up many, many more times. I mean, that's almost an that's immortality. My darling. We're getting a couple of different catchphrases as we move through uh, these episodes that are definitely going to be important as the show moves along. We totally are. We totally are. And then that is the end of the episode. Uh, a, a strong episode. Really fun. Um, lots of lots of uh, good development for Emily, for the liar friendship. Uh, yeah, really, really fun. Yeah, it's excellent. And now the secret is out. The liars know uh, not only about Emily being queer, but about Emily's background with Allison. Uh, they don't, the other liars don't at this point know about Maya, I don't think. Uh, but I guess it's assumed, uh, it's going to be assumed that, yeah, kind of between episodes that Hannah and or Emily fills them in. Yeah, that girl that Emily's suddenly spending an awful lot of time with. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would be the one, that one right there. Um, so a quick little scheduling note, we will be closing out 1A next week with Keep Your Friends Close. That is a such a fun episode um, with the glamping trip, of course. And then the following week, we will be jumping ahead and covering uh, How the A Stole Christmas from season five. Yes. So we'll have uh, a little bit of uh, holiday theme with... Uh, you know, with, with everything that happens in that episode, my gosh, there is so much. Uh, there is uh, 
Allison kissing someone in a Santa suit and Emily asking if it's a guy or a girl. Uh, and then us learning from Aria that he, it was man butt uh, that she discerned from a distance. Uh, and we have the ice ball with masks. We have the rear window homage. We have the A menacing with snow globe. Uh, we have that Christmas tree. There's just so much going on in that episode. And I cannot wait to give it all to all of you uh, as a little holiday present. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited for that. Um yeah, and we also have a more creepy Lucas in that episode. He's the Santa Claus and is, like, asking people to sit on his lap. Ugh. Um, That's during his, like, strange, like, more muscular physique <laughs> kind of aggressive facial hair situation. So Yeah, when he's, like, lighting fires in trash cans and, like, he, he kind of turns into an anarchist there for a little bit. Well, yes, we'll see. We'll see whatever version of creepy Lucas that is. Um, and we'll, we'll check in with, uh, with what's going on with him. Yes. Um, but until next time, we'll be back with moments later. Oh, which I see is a Norman Buckley, Joseph Doherty. That's exciting. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not, that, that's not the right one. Yeah. Keep Your Friends Close is uh, written by I'm Arlene King moments later, which will be the first episode of 1B is Joseph Doherty. Yes. Um, yes, until next time. All right. Thank you so much for listening.